Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. It is our final episode of 2023. I know you're thinking, wait, hold on, there's still two weeks left. We won't be doing an episode left next week. I and my team, we live by our values of time off and time out. And as a Western company, most of my team celebrate Christmas and therefore we step away from our computers for two weeks of Christmas. And I know many of the audience do as well. So we are not putting out an episode next week. I encourage you to take the holidays if you celebrate them to rest and recharge. If you're not, just rest and recharge. (laughs) I just think that is such a fundamental part of what we need to do. But I do have a very special episode to wrap up the year. I know many of the women I work with have secret desires, maybe not so secret, to be a founder one day. And so today I have on the show Manuela, or Manu as she likes to be called, Manu is co-founder and CEO of Alpha A and Alpha AIO, which is all about changing the way we think of asset ownership, connecting the physical and digital realms with blockchain certification. She's passionate about this. We don't dig into that very much today. I really wanted to pick her brain about being an entrepreneur, being a female entrepreneur, being a Latino entrepreneur, because she is based in the US, but she was born in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And she actually started off in the arts. You're going to hear a little bit about that. But she's really led her life with this eyes wide open asset to her thinking and and just the way she talks. You're going to hear that today. And I think this is one of the many reasons why in 2022, Bloomberg voted her one of the top 100 most influential Latinos worldwide. She was one of 33 under 33 entrepreneurs in 2018 in New York City. This woman has got all the accolades, but she's got a lot of lessons as well. And I think that is part of what it is has allowed her to flourish so much. She has so many lessons, some of which she's going to share with you today, that she's had a long way. She's had this desire for starting Alpha A for a long time. I actually picked her brain on that. Like, how long did it take? Why did it take so long? And she talks about how part of what had had to happen was to stop chasing energy and allow energy to come to her. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. We also talk about how female-led companies are more successful and dig into a little bit of the why and discuss some of the things you need to be asking yourself if you're considering this, how to make the decision to finally go all in. So without further ado, let's get Manu onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, And this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Manu. It's so good to finally hit record with you. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, let's start off with the favorite question that I love to ask everybody. Can you share with us your career journey, the highlights, those very important lowlights, and how you came to be a founder and CEO for Alpha? Oh, man, it's been a journey. Uh, it really has. So let's let's start at the beginning, right? So I grew up in a family of of art people. My dad was one of the oldest um, 
gallery owners in Latin America. He discovered some pretty amazing artists. My mom's also an artist. My uncle's also an art dealer. So I was always surrounded by art. Okay. That's kind of like the backdrop. But at a young age, after doing um, an internship with with my dad, uh, I realized that what I really loved were markets. And so I ended up in, in finance. And I worked with the former central bank president of Brazil, Arminio Fraga, uh, who's a legend for any macroeconomist. Uh, he is like the Soros guy that was that was with Soros during the whole British pound transaction. He himself was responsible for a similar uh, transaction versus the Indonesi- Indonesian coin. So a legend. And um, I found myself young, successful, married. I got married very young at 21. Uh, and everything felt like it was missing. It was kind of like funny because I was, I was, I had checked all the boxes and I checked all the boxes like so early. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was reading for work, uh, Mark Rich's biography, King of Oil. Mark Rich for, you know, anyone that doesn't recall is the guy that came up with the spot oil market. Uh, he created Glencore and, you know, his biography was, it's pretty amazing on, on a lot of different levels. It reads like a, a novel, but I saw a lot of similarities between the way that the creative economy still operated and how the oil market in the 60s then uh, was formed. Very limited amount of information, small number of players that controlled a lot. And that was kind of like the, the baseline for building the uh, my first company, uh, which was an art licensing business, Alpha A Inc. So through Alpha A Inc. in 2015, I picked up a book called Blockchain for Dummies. And I was like, wow, this is going to change everything. Not just art, but the way that we do everything, the way that we organize, the way that we purchase things. Uh, and I kind of like went down that rabbit hole. In 2017, we started uh, developing tools to use blockchain to certify our artwork. And in 2018, I was um, studying the idea of an ICO for the company. But in 2018, the entire crypto market imploded. And that was a real bear market. It was a moment in time that, you know, I feel like, we all had our doubts if this was actually going to happen or, you know, if we were just kind of like being very creative with our expectations. And so then we became more of a closeted blockchain company because we continued to run with, you know, our art operations, but we still were developing the the blockchain solution. Then in, in 2022, um, early 2022, I completed a full pivot, launched another platform called Alpha.io. So Alpha.io, which is my baby, where I am, at, I am at now, and technically Alpha.io has only been around for a little bit over a year, but it's been mm. brewing for a very long time in my mind in so many ways. <laughs> uh, and uh, what we do is we are a fan engagement solution. Uh, we provide the best infrastructure for communities to connect. So we like to say that we connect people, content, and experiences. I, I love that just from the point of view of so many of the women I work with who are quite often coming to me for leadership development, which is important, whatever you plan to do in your career, have this idea brewing. And actually many of the startup CEOs I've coached and mentored have said like it was a long time coming. And certainly my own experience is, okay, it's not a tech startup per se, but running a coaching business, it took me many years to jump, leave corporate and land in the CEO's shoes and set my own thing. So what was 
what was going on for all those years? Why do you think it took you as long as it did? Or did it need that long to really develop in your mind or be the right time? What, what happened? I feel like ideas move at their own pace. We're mm. constantly trying to force things to happen. And I think I shifted my mentality brutally since I moved to California during COVID in 2020. And I stopped mm. following energy and I let energy come to me. Uh, and oh. with that, you you surrender a little bit more into, you know, whatever it is that the universe have has in your path. So I was a CEO before. I was a CEO for the art company. Uh, I've held this role for almost 10 years now. And everybody is always kind of like fascinated with the term CEO, right? Oh, you're the CEO, mm. as if that means something. Being a CEO in a startup means that you probably get a lot less sleep than everyone else. It means that you pay yourself last. It means that, you know, you're always thinking of your family of people that you have to take care of mm -hmm. in every single yeah. way. It means that you shoulder all the burden and, um, you know, when you when you do have a great success, the only person that can celebrate you is yourself. I think that's yes. kind of like the biggest lesson, you know, that I have learned mm. along the way is stop trying to get anything from the external world. It doesn't matter. Yes. I think that accepting that the, the rest of the world is not there to lift you up, that you're there to lift your own self up is so important. Everything you just said resonates with me hugely in terms of my journey I think the one exception is I have learned how to prioritize sleep. <laughs> I've <laughs> really learned how to prioritize getting sleep because I know my success depends on me getting a good night's sleep. But yeah, the paying yourself last, worrying about your your business family and making sure they're paid and everybody's taken looked after is not. It doesn't just stop with worrying about whether or not you're going to make sales. There's so much more to it than that. I think that's a huge part of being a CEO that people don't necessarily appreciate until they've been in those shoes. Um, I, so I love that story. So much of that really resonated. Well, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you think it means to be a successful woman founder in tech, because we are still unusual. And I know many of this audience have their eye on being a founder one day if they're not there already. So what is it that you think has made you so successful? Well, thank you for calling me successful in the first place. I appreciate that. You are. You are. <laughs> um, and couldn't agree more about the sleep. Uh, sleep is so important. You know, mm -hmm. like being successful is being rested, firstly, because if mm -hmm. you're, and, and that's in every single way, right? It's creating bandwidth in your mind so that you can process problems much faster because your thoughts are not taking over. Yeah. So for me, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a story, okay? Last year was, was, pretty much the hardest year of my life. Everything that could go wrong went wrong and everything that could mm. go right also went right at the same time. So it was like one oh, of those wow. crazy polarizing years where you're just yes. being pulled in and you can't really like land on, on, on yourself. And I was distant at the time from my spiritual practices, but I was feeling something inside me already shift. I think it was kind of like mm. the beginning of like this spiritual awakening. Uh, and on the 1st of January, I woke up my birthday is December 31st. And um, uh, I was trying to figure out kind of like how to solve the company's funding issues because we lost our lead investor in November when FTX went under and like I hadn't even paid my team. It was the holidays. I was really upset about the whole thing. And on the 1st of January, I woke up and I got an email from a new investor and they confirmed they were coming in. When that happened, I, I, I don't know what happened inside my body, 
but I think I was under so much stress that when I walked to the mirror in the bathroom, I saw that I had a blood vessel in my eye had exploded. And oh, my stepdad is a doctor. So I walked up to him. We were all together in, in, in Napa. Uh, and I said, what is this? He's like, well, you had a small stroke. You need to manage your stress level because, you know, it is, it, it is the blood pressure in your eye that caused that. And that kind of like kickstarted a whole other meaning of what success is for me. That, that kind of like one mm-hmm. moment. I sat down with another friend of mine and he's one of my mentors. He's like 10 years older. So I feel like he's like 10 years ahead of me in the process, but very successful founder has been through a lot of the stuff that, you know, we've been through because the thing is founders need to talk about the hard things too. Everybody's like, Oh, everything everything is rosy, but it's not, we know it's not, we know everybody's going through their own Mm -hmm. process and everybody's going through their own journey. And plus we keep moving the target (laughs) because that's what is asked of us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to rant that much since this is about success. But when I sat down with him, he said he had a similar thing occur and he lost vision in one of his eyes a couple years back. And um, he pointed me in, in, in a direction that I followed and um, that kind of like elevated my, my level of, of spirituality in a way and open space for a meditation practice that is now maybe the most important part of my day. Because that in the morning, when I tell myself that I love myself mm-hmm. and that I already yeah. have everything and that I'm so grateful for everything, that is success. Because that is like when you're abundant, when your cup is full. And I saw another founder last week and she came up on stage and she's like, it was a female event. Okay. She's so like, ladies, listen, my first startup, my first year, I had a million dollars of revenue. Second year, $5 million of revenue. I got to $800 million of revenue. And I noticed that I was still planning on becoming happy when I hit a certain threshold. There's only mm. now. You got to be happy every day. We have to be successful every day. We have to be proud every day. And if we're not, if it's something that is just taking and not adding value, then it shouldn't be in your life. And that's the same way that we should approach our, our business. It's the same way we should approach our employees. It's the same way that we should approach all of our relationships. We are here to create joy. We are here to be loved. We are here to love one another. Yeah. So it's oh. it's a little bit of a woo-woo explanation for success, but you know, that that's what it means to me. <laughs> Well, I actually love that. And, and, you know, it's funny you say woo-woo because I always used to be afraid of woo-woo. My, my business coach is always, she views me as a challenge. She's like, if I can get Tony to believe in woo, I can get anybody to believe in woo. <laughs> because when I first started working with her many years ago now, I was so like, I don't do woo. But what I would say is the scientist in me has seen the evidence firsthand of what it means to have the right mindset. It's about being well-rested, being able to make better decisions. It's about having that belief in yourself so you trust yourself rather than second guessing. It's about believing or understanding that productivity. Yeah. Right? What does that say? This says, this says try something different. Surrender. Yes. Right. And I, I, there's a lot of scientific evidence in my mind that really points to this taking care of us. I mean, I have spent a lot of the last 18 months taking care of my physical body because my view is my brain is my biggest asset. My body carries around my brain. <laughs> so if I didn't take care of my body, my brain can't do the thing I know it's capable of doing. So I really focus on taking care, care of that. And so I don't, I, I really resonate with everything you say. Well, 
Let's shift gears. Let's talk about women-led startups because I know it's a topic that both you and I are super passionate about. Let's talk about the data. What is the current status of women-led startups? What are the numbers out there? Oh, I'm so curious to see the numbers for this year because there's a there's a thing that goes into play when markets are doing badly that is called de-risking, okay? Yeah. De-risking is pretty much the dumbest thing in the planet because it's actually re-risking because <laughs> it's concentrating your yes. risk in a asset class that historically performs worse. But anyway, so to that point, uh, in 2021, women received about 2.2% of venture capital dollars in America. In 2022, since it was considered a year of de-risking, women fell. We received 1.9%, so less than 2%. Mm. If you look at Latin American women, I'm from Brazil, by the way, we probably received 0.02% of the capital pool, similar to you know, black women, so LGBTQ. So it's 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 really sad that the hidden biases take the best of the decision makers because they prefer to invest in people that look like them because that's just a known. I spoke to a fund manager the other day and, and it was pretty epic. He's like, uh, they just started a fund that invests exclusively in women and minorities, okay? And he's like, you know why we started the fund? Because we ran a blind fund for about uh, five years, which never looked at the founder, only focused on the data and made investments. And the algorithm invested 56% in women because it was Whoa. just statistically better. The data wow. behind it was better because we have to achieve so much more. You know, mm -hmm. like if you look at, at a female founded startup and a male founded startup in the exact same industry, the female founded startup is probably going to have to show 10 times more traction to get an investment yeah. that is 10% smaller. You know, so it's, crazy what is out there. And a lot of it is programmed by biases, hidden, visible, or just outright, you know, misinformation. I talk to a lot of female founders and I've heard a lot of crazy stories of things that happen out, out there. We're not even going into the Me Too stuff because mm -hmm. that opens up a whole other Pandora's box. But anyway, I'm hopeful because we can only go up. <laughs> the situation is so terrible, yes. but... I do feel like it, it needs to start with the VC industry and the VC industry is going through a come to Jesus mm -hmm. moment right now with, you know, everything it that's is. going down, like with all the markdowns. And so interested to see, uh, you know, how it's going to progress as we move into a bull market, probably next year or 2025. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of like, female founders did survive this period of crises and a lot of male founders didn't uh, because we're used to having less. Yes. Female founders have to be scrapped. I, one of the things that I'm actually particularly interested in is I've seen some evidence of this, but I think you have some data on this um, and you've hinted at it there in terms of women have to achieve 10 times more is women led companies tend to generate more success. There are more female-led unicorns proportionately than there should be. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a simple statistic. And and uh, Female Founders Fund does a great job and they put out a report every year on the entire industry that will show kind of like a lot more metrics. But uh, one that I always go to is even though we receive less than 2% of funding, we produce about 12% of unicorns. Let me just interrupt this interview for a moment. Please, please do me a favor and do other women in tech a favor. If you have found this episode inspiring, please do two things. One, hit subscribe, whether that's in a podcast platform or on YouTube. Every subscriber boosts our audience. It helps demonstrate to these platforms that this episode should go to other people as well. So please hit subscribe. 
Favor number two, share this with a woman in tech or a male ally that you think needs to hear some of this conversation. Thank you. So that just shows that, you know, (laughs) we are able to gain a lot of market share and we know what it goes into creating a unicorn with less capital. It also means that that unicorn is going to be more profitable. It's going to be grow probably at a more under control rate, but like more sustainable which is kind of like a lot of like the, 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 the metrics around female founded businesses, the margins are way higher usually. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I see is some of the women I work with have held off being founders for so, so long. In a, and I end up coaching them. And even though my job is to coach leaders, first and foremost, almost end up coaching them through that resistance to finally accepting that their destiny has become a founder because that's what they're desperate for. And it's just allowing them to get out their own way to do that. And I wonder if that's part of what's going on because we we see being a founder as such a huge barrier or rather there are huge barriers towards being a female founder. And so as women, we hold off for so long. Do you think that's part of why we're more successful or do you think there's something else going on? I think that's part of it for sure. I think there's, you know, there's also kind of like having less resources, you have to stretch the value of a, of a dollar further. And that kind yeah. of like really comes into play. And, and it also means that the multiplier is going to be higher once you do have access to some capital because you're used to doing so much of nothing. There's also yeah. kind of like the community-based element, right? Like I love working with women. Our team is 70% women, including devs. Like we have female devs too. And um, we have a lot of like female-founded companies that we partner with. And what I found is, you know, I may be generalizing this, so don't come after me, guys. But um, <laughs> I've had some terrible experiences where I've gone down the route of not signing a contract with uh, a company that is, you know, founded by a guy. And, you know, I've had countless cases of like those guys trying to go behind my back, trying to steal clients, just like ghosting you completely when it doesn't go their way. And with, you know, most of our female founded company partnerships, what I have found is, you know, there's a lot more consideration. There's a lot more collaboration. There's, you know, thinking of the other side, there's making sure that everybody's being compensated because it's almost like we expand from the maternal mindset into everything that we do. We are caretakers, Mm -hmm. we are family builders, and we think, of it the same way in, in, you know, our business relationships. It is personal for women and that's why we make it work. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So let's talk about becoming a female founder. What do you, what advice do you wish you'd received starting your own entrepreneurial journey? Like, what do you wish you'd been told that you've now learned that you didn't know? There's an amazing Lady Gaga quote that I bring out every time when she won the Oscar for A Star Is Born, like, Dude, Lady Gaga's story is amazing because she was told she wasn't pretty enough to sing. She wrote for Britney yeah. Spears for a whole bunch of time. Like she, you know, she, she, and so when she got on stage, like I was tearing up, it's like, ladies, this is for all of you out there. It's not about winning. It's about not giving up. Mm. I love that. Oh my God. I wish I'd heard that five years ago, actually. I mean, that's kind of how I've operated. I don't give up. I'm, as my family would put it, we're all damn, st- we're, we're stubborn. Relentless. <laughs> Relentless. I like that more. But I, I love that. That's beautiful. And 
what would you say to women who are nervous about doing this? What in terms of raising capital, like what tips do you have as a woman raising capital? Like what do what can we do to help ourselves here in a market that is sadly rigged against us right now? Yeah. So firstly, try to build a business that doesn't need that much capital. Yes. That is, you know, that has high margins, that is sustainable, that has product market fit. Start small. Don't go ahead and build a crazy ass product before you know if, you know, people want it. Like look into the story of Uber. They started with like two guys and a telemarketing thing, actually calling black cars and sending them to see if there was demand before they even Mm -hmm. like wrote a line of code. For women, that's so much more important, literally focusing on kind of like finding that product market fit because nobody's going to give you any money until you have a proven track track record of revenue. And it is terrible out there. We do have to prove a lot more. So, you know, if you can become less reliant on, uh, on, on the traditional kind of like venture path, better. You'll hold more ownership of your company. Uh, you will be able to kind of like grow and adapt to the, to the need of your clients. Your clients should be more important than your investors, not the other way around. Mm. Your investors oh, yes. should be part of your ecosystem and, you know, they should be bringing you clients. I actually just went through, like a, a fund just came to us and they're like, oh, uh, we're SaaS guys. We totally get your business model. We love it. Part of our due diligence process is we'll put your company in front of 300,000 leads, see how it does. And then working out, we'll invest. I was like, that's amazing. That's the best offer that I've gotten ever. Because even if they don't invest, I don't even want them. To, like, it's great if they invest, you know, mm-hmm. but putting us in front of 300,000 leads. Yeah. So think of the customer first and the investors will come. I love that so much. I was actually just having a conversation this morning with my husband about how one of the changes that we've both seen in the tech industry is the companies that are successful have really lent into customer success in the last decade. That has been, even in the last five years since I've become a full-time coach, that shift has been quite profound. And it makes sense. We actually make more money from happy customers than we do from selling mass market and new people all the time. And I, therefore, if you focus on customer first, it is actually better in terms of profit, which is what the investors actually care about. But for some reason, it's taken us such a long time to accept that. I could could talk about this all day long, but I want to wrap this bit of the podcast up with your number one piece of advice for any woman listening to this show who's considering being a founder. What do you need them to hear to help them take that step or help them get off the fence, even if the fence says, go back to being whatever you were before. How do we get off the fence? So sometimes it's it's good to not get off the fence. Like not every company oh. needs to exist. That's important to ponder that in your decision. Mm. You know, make sure that there's a market there for it before you quit your job, go nuts. And, you know, just don't be a founder for being a founder's sake. If you can't go to sleep without thinking of this concept of this idea of this thing that you need to put into the world. And it's not about like you, your ego, you calling yourself a founder, but it is about the world needing what that product for whatever reason, and you being the best person to put that forward, then it should be clear to you, but it's going to be really hard. It's going to take forever. I've been at this for almost 10 years and it's still not easy. You'd think that after 10 mm-hmm. years, you'd be like, okay, it's all sorted. Now I can like pay everyone and like 
continue to expand. No, there's still kind of like moments that you will run out of capital. You will, you know, have someone backstab you. You will have Mm -hmm. co-founder issues. You will have like so many things that come out of every single side. And unless that company is your baby, unless that company is the thing that you love the most in the world, Mm -hmm. you're going to give up. So make sure that you love it before you even start it. I love that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I wish I shared that. I think I would have jumped faster if I had accepted that. It took me a long time to to start my business. I started at the right time, but I maybe could have done it a bit earlier if I had somebody like you talking at me in the right way. Let's move on to the quick fire round. Uh, so some of my favorite questions. You ready for this? Let's do it. Okay. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, man. <laughs> There's so many venture capitalists that sit down and they think that they know what you do. And then they tell you to do something that you've a already built, tried it, and you know, it doesn't work. And you have to like nod along and agree you have, or, you know, <laughs> go after a, 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 like I had, I had an investor come up to me recently and tell me that I should stop charging implementation fees which are a significant part of our revenue and also kind of like the Mm -hmm. reason why we have zero churn because we work from the client in the beginning so that they understand how to use our product. And he said that I should be giving away my product for free and, you know, focusing on poster makers and scale and putting a whole bunch of money in ads. Firstly, he doesn't un- even understand what it is to be a female founder. We don't have a bunch of money to put into ads. We have zero yes. money to put into ads. And then he's telling me to kill my largest source of revenue and my relationship with my clients and my learning process for my products because I learn a lot when I'm talking to my clients mm-hmm. because that's what's worked for him because he's had hundreds of millions of dollars for every single startup that he's been involved with. Sorry, that was a little long, Tony. Not exactly quick fire, but you know. Oh my God. One really got to me. No, no, no. (laughs) And and also that one really gets under my skin because I've worked with so many startup executive teams over the years. Like, you know, I'm working with a particular female leader who's part of an executive team in a a well-established like Series E, Series D startup. And there's there's an investor that comes along and gives this advice and the executive team scramble and they're like, but if we do this, it's going to upend our business model. We've always got to remember investors have experience, but they aren't running your company. (laughs) Like they lose some money if your company fails. You lose your livelihood if the company fails. So take their advice with the background knowledge of what you know. It's never as clear cut, I think, as advice comes across as it's insight it's not you must do this no thank you for sharing that one because I am sure that some of those people listening to this have experienced that because I've seen it coaching executive teams for well-established startups so next question what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given yeah uh this is probably from a woman so I have a um an, an advisor mentor investor who I'm actually going to go see now for Thanksgiving she's the one that invited me to come to to Texas and I had a terrible co-founder situation that went down like a lot of founders that that have had that and she told me something which was you know 
pretty amazing and, and very helpful in an emotional level as well. She's like, I feel like you just have to make peace with the fact that, you know, it is what it is. She's going to hold the equity and that's fine. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect you in the long term. And letting go of whatever it is that is emotional and just kind of like burying that moment, mourning it, do whatever you need to do to kind of like process the feelings, but Mm -hmm. move on, move on and move on from everything. Move on from the bad deals, move on from the good deals, focus on now. Focus on now, move on, accept the situation and move on. I love that. Rather than, I think sometimes we spend so much time living with our regrets and in the past, that's happened. It is what it is. Live right now and aim for the future. So I love that so much. Okay, next question. What is the last book you read or listened to and would you recommend it? I read a lot of books, by the way, Tony. So I I actually have a book club (laughs) that is very deep and meaningful and spiritual. We just finished Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which is kind of like a Suzuki book, which is known as kind of like the, it's a great little starter for Zen Buddhism. So there's a lot of like good information there if that's, if it's new to you. I'm also kind of like in tandem reading um, a couple of Alan Watts lectures. Definitely recommend listening to the Alan Watts lectures on Audible because it is him and his voice is so freaking soothing. Uh, so it's it's amazing to kind of like calm me down. And now we just started a book that I would definitely recommend to anyone that is more kind of like spiritually inclined called A Course in Miracles. The story of that book is pretty epic. So it was, um, I think, 1950s or 1960s, Columbia University professor, Jewish heritage, but an atheist. She's having, they're having a lot of problems within uh, the, the, the department. She's a PhD in uh, psychology. And so she discovers mindfulness, starts meditating and channels this entire text. It's like a thousand pages from like God himself. So it's read to you as if, you know, Jesus was talking to you, but it's a very interesting metaphor, regardless if you're Jewish or, you know, Christian or whatever, Jesus, Jesus in, in this book, and it's considered blasphemy, but by, by the Catholic church is all of us. We are all Jesus. We are the sonship, meaning we have already atoned for our sins. We can all move on. So it's a beautiful message and it's it's very, very profound, the whole thing. But it's also a way to reprogram your brain and to let go of ego and to focus on love. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing those. I will make sure a link to each of those books is in the show notes if you're interested. <laughs> Final quick fire question is about mindset. I love to ask people for their favorite mindset tip. But I know we've talked a lot about mindset today. Uh, but do you have a favorite mindset tip to help women entrepreneurs and CEOs? meditate. Oh, you yes. can't explain it. You can't explain it. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. This is reasonably new for me. Okay. I, I, ha- I started meditating when I was like seven years old because I had a ski accident. I was a hyperactive child and my physical therapist introduced it into my life concentration practice. And mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was meditation at the time. And then I kind of like fully let go of that and came back to it now, like much older. And it's been incredible. It's been incredible to separate my thoughts from myself. It's been incredible to create space. And you can't explain the benefits of it. Like 
you know, you can't quantify it. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. We're like, well, if we told people that you meditate a thousand times, you get a Ferrari, maybe they'd meditate. But it's like, it's so much deeper. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so much more special. And there's so much great stuff out there. Alan Watts is awesome. Like awesome starting point. Um, Joe Dispenza, for those of you that are kind of like more into the, the manifestation stuff. So lots of great resources. YouTube's a great place to find lots of meditations. Marion Williamson, which is around, of course, the miracles as well. So I would definitely recommend it to like, not just every founder, but every single person on this planet. Mm -hmm. If we all meditated, we would understand that we were all equal, that we all should love each other and we wouldn't be killing any people anywhere, period. Uh, that's funny. I often say to people, if we had more, if, if women were in charge more, we had more tea and cake, we would have fewer wars. But actually meditation, you're right. A hundred percent. But yes, the, the meditation, I mean, I, I started meditating probably about, it's about the same time I started my business. And my business coach was like, you need to start doing some mindset work, Tony, start with meditation. I was like, I don't know how to meditate. And, but it is, it's life-changing, just learning how to center yourself repeatedly, like cut out the noise and being okay with the noise, but remind yourself you can cut it out. It's just so powerful to be. I don't do it as much as I should. Uh, it's still a work in progress. And I think that speaks volumes. Five years later, I'm still a work in progress. But such a game changer. Change is the only constant, Tony. Change is the only constant. Absolutely. Be and, and just kind of like on the meditation thing to like not let it go. I had so much of a hard time to meditate because I thought I had to like sit silently and just be with my thoughts. <laughs> There's a lot of guided meditations that are great for hyperactive people that are great for people mm -hmm. that can't settle on their own. So, you know, like there's, there's not one size fits all. My spiritual advisor actually told me that, you know, that I should listen to everything, make no judgments and create whatever works for me. Manu, thank you so much for sharing all of this. This has been a fabulous conversation. Where can people connect with you, find out more about what you do, find out more about Alpha A, like tell us where to find you online. Yeah. And firstly, thank you, Tony. Thank you for holding the space. You know, like uh, it, the pleasure. work you're doing is very important. Women need more women and we need to stick together. So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty active there. My Instagram is Manu CV. Uh, company Instagram is Alpha AIO. I'm also on TikTok, unfortunately, because I can't get that platform. <laughs> Same Manu CV. Manu CV everywhere. Same thing on LinkedIn. So I'm easy to find. <laughs> Perfect. I will make sure all those links are in the show notes if you're interested in connecting with Manu. And I encourage you, if nothing else, to follow her. Her entrepreneurial journey is an inspiration. And if this is something you've been considering, get get out of your own way and start taking some action. Any final thoughts you would like to leave my audience with, Manu? Be kind to yourself and celebrate all the tiny little victories. That's so important every step of the way celebrate your success ladies i get everybody in my community to celebrate every single friday <laughs> i'm like <laughs> celebrations are non-negotiable around here friday. Even... love that i'm gonna, <laughs> anyway. I'm gonna bring that in <laughs> actually i what a, a company i worked with a few years ago um they actually completely turned around their company culture by bringing in celebrations in every team meeting every team meeting started with what we're celebrating and they go around the room and the culture just completely shifted massive boost in productivity and retention all that kind of stuff celebrations are a thing ladies all right thank I you i love that i should introduce that starting the team meetings with like what are we celebrating 
Thank you all for listening. This is our final episode before Christmas. So thank you everybody for listening. We are taking a break next week for Christmas Day. I will be back in the new year with another episode. But remember listeners, until next time, stay on your technician game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.